Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Himalaya. We're housed in an old Victorian building built in 1861, which is a really famous building in the Sacramento area. People really want to get inside and they want to take pictures in front of it. It's just kind of an icon of Sacramento. So I think that's kind of where we set ourselves apart. In the last episode of Think Like an Economist, our friend Samir of Milka Coffee Roasters told us about how there's a lot of demand for coffee in Sacramento. And it can make it a really attractive market for new coffee shops to open up. Those new coffee shops might be great for consumers, but for Samir, there's a darker side. They're going to reduce his profits. If everyone sells fairly similar products, that extra competition is going to cut into his market share, reduce his prices, and lower his profits. He might not even be able to stay in business. Businesses are always chasing extra profits, and there are a number of ways they do this. One way is to position their product as unique in some way that makes customers prefer them to their competitors. Samir's best hope is to show that his coffee is different than everyone else's. We've positioned ourselves as the beautiful coffee shop, and that's, I think, why we've done so well. It's a massive building. You know, it's 35 feet tall, has the Queen Anne Bay windows right in front of you, has brick steps going up to the front door. It's got a curved-shaped front door. It makes you feel like you're going back in time. You open the door. We've got a maple half-round bar with, like, gorgeous emerald green tiles with plants kind of cascading down everywhere so you feel like you're walking into like a Victorian atrium. People are drawn to coming to Milka because it's a be-all thing. Like if you want to have a nice chat with a friend or if you want to have a business meeting or if you just want to sit there and study, throw your headphones on. And we have a whole patio outside for people to kind of bring their dogs to. So we kind of have a lot of different spaces for people to do almost whatever they want in. Milka sounds beautiful, and it's clear that Samir spent a lot of time thinking about what makes his business unique. It's not just the drinks and the snacks, but he's ensuring that Milka is an experience good, a really nice place to hang out. That's a key part of his business strategy, and business strategy is our topic for this week's episode of Think Like an Economist with me, Betsy Stevenson. And I'm Justin Wolfers. This is the podcast where we're teaching you the tools from economics that can transform your life and any business plans you have too. Nestran Tavakoli Farah is with us. Economists tend to talk a lot about perfectly competitive markets, and we've learned in previous episodes how free entry and exit play an important role in lowering profits and in keeping the market competitive. Today, we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about how businesses try to create excess profits and how they try to block the forces of competition that keep prices and profits down. Right. There are tricks that businesses can use to boost their profitability. And what we're going to dig into today are the factors that determine your company's long-run profitability. 
One of them is figuring out what makes you unique, because the more unique your products are, the more you can act like a monopolist. After all, no one else has the building Samir has, so he's a monopolist coffee provider in that exact space. Trying to offer a unique product isn't the only strategy businesses use. We're going to go through the five forces framework, which will get you to focus on the five forces that determine the structure of competition in your market and hence your prospects for long-run profitability. Managers use this to help determine their long-run strategy. If you've been to business school, you may have heard of the five forces framework because it's taught in most business schools. If you haven't been, then we're letting you in on something you'd usually have to pay a lot for. Yeah, and what's nice about the five forces is that it's like a checklist. We can go through each one of them to see if it suggests our business will be successful. Right. This will make more sense as we go through it, but let's start by naming the five. The first is, of course, competition from your existing rivals. The second is the threat of new businesses entering your market. The third is the threat of new substitutes emerging to your product. The fourth is the bargaining power of your suppliers. And the fifth is the bargaining power of your customers. So let's go through these to really understand them. And we're also going to hear how these apply to the decisions Samir makes over at Milka Coffee. Our first force is competition from existing competitors. This is probably the one most of us start by thinking about. And here we're talking about both the intensity of the competition you face and the type of competition. Generally, we say rivalry is more intense when you have more rivals. And this is going to determine your market power. You'll remember from our earlier episode on market power that when you have no rivals, when you're a monopoly, that means you have a lot of market power. And at the other extreme, if there's perfect competition and you're one of a gajillion businesses selling identical goods, then you'll have no market power. In between these two, maybe you have only a few competitors, then you might have some market power, either because you have a small monopoly in your local area, like if you're the only coffee shop within five miles, people might not want to travel to the other coffee shop. Or you can have market power because you and your competitors coordinate with each other, either implicitly or explicitly. That's the intensity of competition. But there's also the type of competition. Right. So one type of competition is price competition. That's when businesses compete by offering lower prices. This can be a bit of a downward spiral because if I slash my prices, my competitor might then respond by slashing theirs and we'll both end up with lower profits. Yeah, but that's exactly what price competition is meant to do. It's why profits go to zero in perfect competition. So customers like it, but if you own a business, it may not be your preferred way to compete. Look, it doesn't mean Samir wouldn't earn any money, just that if his market is perfectly competitive, his profits get driven down so he's not making any more money running his coffee shop than he'd make doing something else. Price competition's most likely when you and your rivals sell really similar products, when it's really easy to observe prices, and when switching costs are low. Because if all three of these things happen, then reducing your price by just a little bit will send a whole lot of customers your way, and that becomes an irresistible temptation. You know, it really comes down to this. If your customers are pretty indifferent between what you are selling and what your rivals are selling, then they're going to focus on the price you're offering them. Yeah, that's why companies try to build customer loyalty, which really means a preference for that company, even when they have higher prices. Yes, this is the non-price competition, when businesses compete for customers by making their products unique in some way, which we call product differentiation. Think of factors like drinking a cup of coffee in a beautiful building, sort of like the case at Milk or Coffee Roasters, or all the other ways that businesses try to win you over, even if their prices are a little higher. Earlier on, Samir told us that he's positioned Milka to be the beautiful coffee shop. 
That's not the only way he's made Milka coffee roasters stand out or differentiated their product. The main way that we try to differentiate between us and other specialty coffees is uh, through our different flavors, offering like all the crazy things we can come up with, like the mint matcha or the apple hill latte, which is kind of like a spiced apple syrup that goes into our drink. So I think a lot of the times we're looking at how can we find flavors that no one else is doing that are going to make people come to us because that flavor is something that they're looking for. The more you can stand out, the more market power you have as a company. If I can only get an Apple Hill latte in a beautiful space at Milka, then Samir can avoid price competition because no one else has that product. I have to go to him to get it. When it comes to product positioning, there are two ideas that are sort of intentional you need to keep in balance. The best way to make sure that you don't face price competition is to position your product to be as unique as possible. So that's why Betsy just said she has to go to Milka in order to get an Apple Hill latte in a beautiful space. That's the supply side, but Samir also has to think about the demand side. After all, how many people want Apple Hill lattes? It's kind of a specialty drink, and by offering products that are so obscure, he's not going to be as attractive to quite as many customers. Right, so he wants to offer products that are similar to his competitors so he can lure more of those customers away as well as trying to be unique. That's what he has to keep in balance. I always find it weird when I see two businesses that essentially sell the exact same thing right next to each other. It does seem weird, but it turns out there's a famous economic model that can help explain this. Each business is trying to capture as many customers as possible, so they all want to locate right in the middle, so they're each as close to as many customers as possible, and then ends up putting them right next to each other. There's a metaphor that's used to teach this concept, which is to think about a long beach with two ice cream sellers. If they sell the same ice cream, people just want to go to whichever one is closest to them. So each seller moves down the beach until they're right next to each other, smack in the middle of the beach. So going back to Samir, he offers a lot of really unique beverages. But at the same time, he also sells standard coffees that everyone has. I guess that's part of the compromise between finding your unique position, but also making sure you're similar enough to your competitors to try to steal their customers. And keep in mind that it's hard to stay unique. Even when you successfully differentiate, like Samir has, you're going to have to watch out. After all, there are other beautiful spaces, and someone can probably figure out the recipe for an Apple Hill latte. This brings us to our next force in the Five Forces framework, which is potential competitors. For Samir, it's the threat that some other coffee shop opens in a beautiful space nearby and starts selling Apple Hill lattes. Right, and here's the challenge. If you succeed in differentiating your product, then you're going to really make a tidy profit. But the fact that you're making these large profits is going to attract imitators. As imitators enter the market offering a similar product, that's going to push prices down, take some of your market share, and reduce your profits. This is why businesses try to erect barriers to entry, to discourage potential competitors from opening up. They seek patents to prevent imitators and other government regulations that might make it hard for a new business to open and compete with them. Sometimes they charge really low prices, not to give their customers a good deal, but to scare their competitors away. And once the threat of that potential entrance gone, they raise their prices again. Amazon has been accused of doing this. And it's not just about competitors in your exact market, but competitors in other markets can also be rivals with the potential to drive down your profits. Competitors in other markets is the third of our five forces, and this force is about the threat of potential substitutes. For example, the post office has been hit pretty hard by email. 
People don't send letters anymore. Instead, they send email or make a phone call. When was the last time you wrote a friend or family member a letter? You know, in the early 1990s, I lived in London for a while, and I couldn't afford phone calls, and there was no email. I wrote a lot of letters that I mailed through the post office. But by the time I moved to the U.S. in the mid-90s, email was widely available, and I wrote my family emails. My mum printed them out like they were letters back then, but the post office didn't see a dime. Email is a great example of a competitor in another market. The internet upended a lot of businesses that might not have seen it coming, like encyclopedias. <laughs> I always wanted a complete encyclopedia set in my house as a kid. You were that kid, weren't you, Betsy? I was definitely that kid. I spent a lot of time in the library looking up random things and all those books. And uh, now I can do it on my phone for free. A more modern example is Zoom is going to play an important role reducing business travel. And so it's going to eat the airline's lunch. Right. So airlines might not have seen this potential substitute coming, but that's going to be an important player for them. You know, we've been talking a lot about technological change here, but when we think about substitutes, it's not always just about technology. I mean, for example, in Samir's business, coffee, he needs to think about the home coffee market as well as the going into the shop coffee market. For a lot of people like me who drink coffee every day, we're sort of always on the fence between do I make it at home or buy it to bring home or do I go and have it in a coffee shop? Samir's pretty on the ball with all this. He's already been thinking of potential substitutes to coming into beautiful Milka for a unique mint matcha or Apple Hill latte. One of the main substitutes for coming into the shop I'm worried about currently is canned drinks. It's a little cheaper, it's quicker than coming into the shop. And so here at Milka, we're trying to figure out exactly how we want to address that. And most likely, we're just going to get into making our own canned drinks and try to get them on the shelves of local supermarkets and even on our own shelves. Samir has a great, if you can't beat him, join him attitude. He sees canned drinks coming for his business, and he's decided that he should also start offering canned drinks. Of course, if you can buy Samir's canned drinks at the supermarket, you'll be less likely to come to his shop but he's betting on the fact that he'll gain more customers in the supermarket than he'll lose in his shop if he expands into this market. He's probably also hoping that people who come into Milka's will buy some cans to take home for later. Samir seems like he's got a pretty good grasp, not just of his current competitors and potential new entrants, but also possible substitutes for what he's selling. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. two more forces for him to consider, the bargaining power of his suppliers and the bargaining power of his customers. 
These are the fourth and fifth forces in the five forces framework. Now say that quickly, Betsy. I think I'm going to skip that. <laughs> Look, before we dive into each of them separately, we need to explain by what we mean by bargaining power. Your bargaining power is just your ability to negotiate a good deal, right? That's right. We all want to negotiate a good deal, but our ability to do so is constrained by something important, our next best alternative. This is the opportunity cost principle at work. Remember that you're always supposed to ask yourself, or what? This is true when you're negotiating. As a buyer, the answer to the or what question is what you would do instead. Buy somewhere else, buy a slightly different product, or go without. And for a business, your next best alternative might be to sell to someone else or to make a different product or to cut back on production. And it's your next best alternative that determines your bargaining power. Because if you don't get a good enough deal, that's what you'll do. That's right. And what it means is that people who have a really good backup plan also have the most bargaining power to get a good deal out of their first plan. So you should get a good backup plan. And this applies whichever side of the bargaining table you're on. As a business, your bargaining power is determined by your next best alternative. And when you're negotiating with your suppliers, their bargaining power is determined by their next best alternative. So this takes us to the fourth force in the five forces framework, which is the bargaining power of suppliers. Now, it seems surprising because your suppliers are in the same boat as you. So if you do well, you'll probably want more of their supplies, given they depend on you buying their products. But they could also threaten your success by charging you higher prices, which would eat into your profits. Look, Samir's counting on his physical space as part of what differentiates Milka. So the bargaining power of his landlord, the supplier of his physical presence, will help determine his rent, which could be a really big factor in his profitability. Ah, but Samir's ahead of the game, and that's why he bought the building. Luckily, we do own the building, so we've kind of taken that out of the equation. That was really important for me to only start businesses and buildings I own personally because landlords can come five years in and double the price, and then you've just lost all that work. This is a great example. When Samir was starting his business and searching for space, his next best alternative was renting or buying another beautiful building. But once he's built his successful business in that particular space, his next best alternative is tearing it all down to relocate somewhere else. Samir is pretty savvy. What Samir noticed was that the landlord's bargaining power could grow with the success of Samir's business. And that could lead his landlord to raise his rent further down the line, taking a big share of Samir's profits with it. So Samir solved the problem of bargaining power by buying the building. He doesn't have a landlord. More generally, the way to improve your bargaining power is to improve your next best alternative. Yeah, and Samir kind of hinted at this. We're pretty heavily dependent on suppliers in a way. Coffee is number one. If we start to have any sort of like big increase in cost, a lot of people drop out of the market. That could be a big issue, which honestly we're looking at all the time. And then milk is a huge one. Luckily, we have a great milk guy. He's the best and our tea and pastries. So we have a lot of things where we depend on a lot of people. Notice that Samir says a big fear is that a lot of suppliers drop out of the market. That's because if he has a lot of suppliers, his next best option is another supplier. Maybe the best milk guy isn't as great, but he still provides milk. That limits how much his milk supplier can mark up the price of the milk he sells him. Same thing's true for his coffee suppliers. You can use this insight in your own life. 
When you're looking for a job, it can pay to seek out a whole lot of jobs and job offers at the same time. That way you can make a big salary request, knowing that your next best option is a pretty good job somewhere else. Or if you're buying a house, don't get your heart set on one specific house. Remember, your bargaining power comes from your next best option. Try to find two or three that you'd be happy with and what you'd be willing to pay for each. Then make an offer knowing that rather than pay more, you can take that other house. This is a trick we've used in our own lives every time. We stay focused on the next best place to live when we're negotiating to buy or rent a house. So I can tell you, it's a really handy trick to both raise your bargaining power and keep your emotions a little cooler. Okay, so let's turn to the final force in our five forces framework, the bargaining power of buyers. If your customers are indifferent between your coffee and coffee from somewhere else, then the customers are going to have all the bargaining power. Your customers will have less bargaining power the more they love you because their love for what you're selling is what makes their next best alternative worse. So if Samir wants more bargaining power, he needs his customers to love his drinks. But all businesses know you've got to work to earn that love. Our customers have quite a bit of bargaining power. They definitely vote with their dollar. The people who are coming in here spending their hard-earned money, they have a say too. So we want to make sure that we're always doing things that they receive and they respect and that they want, you know, so we're consistently asking them. I mean, that's the easiest thing you can do is just ask someone, hey, is this something you like or is this working for you? And so we kind of are constantly doing that here. And I think people really respect that about us, that we're willing to listen to them and make changes. What's cool is that Samir actually uses this feedback to make their coffees even better and to really lock those customers in and perhaps gain new ones too. We had a a friend of a friend come in and was not particularly excited about the way our mocha tasted, which I took to heart. And so that moment, I was just like, all right, from now on, we're only doing good stuff. So we went out and luckily we have one of the best chocolatiers in the world in Sacramento, crew chocolate and started using their chocolate. Everyone loves the the chocolate and the person who had not enjoyed their previous mocha experience at our shop, that person was excited when he came back. And I think that made him a customer for life. So the customer really is king. Yes, because if they don't love you, they have all the bargaining power. But in order to get them to love you, you're going to have to work really hard. And that's why even in specialty coffee shops like Milka's, it's hard to make big profits. And this gets even more difficult if you've only got one or two big customers. Think about a defense contractor where they can either sell their arms to the U.S. government or their next best alternative is no customers and go and bust. Wow, the five forces framework is a lot to take in, but I'm going to keep thinking about all this because I know it's at the heart of a lot of what people learn in business school. Yeah, don't tell my business school friends this because you've just gotten the heart of an MBA strategy class without having to pay tens of thousands of dollars for it. You know, this season, we are really focusing on the types of lessons that you learn in business school, but today was really, I think, the heart of it. Those five forces are what you want to think through if you run a business. Now we know more about the five forces, how can we use this framework in our daily lives? 
Remember, two of those forces are about bargaining power, and the big idea there is that your bargaining power is determined by your next best alternative. So having good alternatives is key. That's always true in life, whether you're running a business or just going about your everyday. That's why I kept dating other people for a while, Joes. I had to know what my next best alternative was. (laughs) Let me just remind you where you landed. And so Betsy's point, of course, is that identifying an opportunity... Whatever that opportunity is, really requires thinking through the five forces framework. Let me tell you, it was a hell of a first date. (laughs) Look, economists often say in a market economy, all you need to be successful is to invent a better mousetrap. Well, that metaphor is the idea that at the end of the day, a quality new product will succeed. Uh, But it's actually not quite that simple because competitors could quickly come in and copy your new quality product. Or your customers could demand a better deal, or your suppliers could raise their costs to you, or that new entrants might come into the market, or new substitutes might emerge. That's the big idea of the five forces, identifying those threats. Yeah, so, you know, the point is, like, Starbucks did invent a better mousetrap, I mean coffee, but their success is not purely a function of the deliciousness of their coffee. I mean, honestly, pizza's better. So, the advice is take a yes and approach. I mean, yes, I need an awesome new idea, and I need to do a careful five forces analysis to make sure I succeed. And that's the story of our relationship. (laughs) So, Naz, are you going to think about your dating life differently? (laughs) Or your business life, Naz. Or your business life. Uh, I'm going to think of my bargaining power for sure. Yes. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.